Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Just that really, that it it does have a biblical root. You know, at first Mm -hmm. it is riffing on this... um, idea of the rituals that were used for for washing and anointing and ordaining the temple priests in the old testament is quite elaborate there's ritual clothing there is um you know the 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 washings the the baptism and anointing rituals and those very much you know follow through in what you experience in the temple um and I guess, you know, the punchline really eventually is that he then experiences Freemasonry and that adds the rest. And it's these two ingredients that really come together very powerfully. And, you know, we were saying earlier, well, what what's, you know, as Julian was saying, the, the idea that you need a temple endowment to be saved is ludicrous because Christ saves, you know, it's his atonement. Um, but, and there is nothing in the Book of Mormon about temple endowments. Um, almost nothing in the New Testament, although one of the earlier versions of the Gospel of Mark mentions a little more going on with the young man who was um, with Jesus before he was arrested and sort of was ran away naked because somehow he there was some ritual going on. And that could be taken as a hint of a washing and anointing type ritual, which is in the secret Gospel of Mark. Um, and there's nothing, you know, so jo- jo- where did Joseph Smith get this idea and why the whole of Mormonism now is all pointing to the temple when there's nothing in the Book of Mormon about it anywhere? You know, the only temple stuff mentioned in the Book of Mormon is the the Old Testament rituals. So it, I think it's this encounter later with Freemasonry that really um, introduces some really extraordinary and very powerful and wonderful and good stuff as yeah. well as what people find embarrassing about it. So yeah. at this point, you, he's riffing on the Bible. This is Joseph's genius. He yeah. goes to the Bible. He he takes the Old Testament very seriously. He's He eventually produces the Book of Mormon. Sorry, the, well, the Book of Mormon, um, the Book of Abraham, Pearl of Great Price stuff, Book of Moses. It's all about Old Testament stuff. It is really thrilling his imagination as he tries to look at rebooting this whole religion and not just being stuck on the the christian bit oi you didn't get out for julian and he takes far longer than i do i would point out again peter ruth is asking about baptisms in the old testament yes um the two things sources there one is the the ritual washings that women had to do at the temple after having a baby um, and that there was a font at the temple and that's mentioned and there was the, um, the you know, there were the anointings and washings that were part of the priest being set apart and ordained. Yeah. Um, but also the Qumran stuff, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which predate Christianity, um, talk about a baptism ritual that was basically like a Christian baptism. So thank you, Doug. Um, so um, that also clearly points to Judaism having a strong uh, tradition of ritual washings and baptism type things and immersions and, and whatever, um, yeah. because the 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 community, the Essenes, whatever they're called, at Qumran were practicing that as a fundamental part of their religion. And yeah. some people speculate that Jesus borrowed it from them. OK, yeah. so it well, was part of Jewish predate the Old Testament as well. 
Yeah. And I think, uh, isn't there a thing as well? Oh, if you are a that, convert to Judaism. Sorry. Sorry, Julian, what was that? I'm just saying a lot of a lot of these these themes and ideas predate the Old Testament as well. Oh, okay. You, you see them throughout ancient, you know, throughout ancient yeah. um, religion. I missed you, Peter. Sorry. If you, yeah, yeah, I was watching it. That's all right. I was watching a documentary about a guy who converted to Judaism and he had to get circumcised, poor thing, you know, as an adult. Um, but the next, the other thing he had to do was a full immersion ritual of anoint, of washing as a as part of the conversion to Judaism. I don't know if all branches practice it, but it seemed to be something that the Orthodox do. So that's something to research a bit. So again, it, it is there okay. in Jewish religion. Yeah. yeah, and something I was going to bring up, Peter, and that you've just touched. Imagine on. the chlorine after the operation. I guess they let him heal up a bit first. Can you imagine just going to the toilet after the operation? <laughs> anyway, um, pee in the bath, pee in the bath. Um, so I was going to say the Book of Mormon is a snapshot of time in the 1820s. But imagine if the Book of Mormon had been written in the 1840s, we wouldn't just have had um, Protestant Native Americans. We'd have had Protestant Freemason Native Americans. Because I'm sure if he'd written it later in the 1840s, he'd have included uh, great temples um, that the church would be absolutely like creaming their pants over because of these big pyramid temples that they're finding in uh, in South America and different things. You know, he missed a trick there, if I'm honest. But I mean, there's a common theme there. If the Book of Mormon had been written today, that we wouldn't have all the anachron the anachronisms because. Mate, if the book of Mormon today, would have been written today, we'd have more anachronisms because I swear, like the Lamanites would have had nuclear weapons or something, and they would have wiped out the Nephites far sooner than they did. Um. So yeah. Anyway, it's interesting actually on the whole Freemason point that what we have got in the Book of Mormon is the opposite. Mm -hmm. It reflects an, an anti-Masonry yeah. um, rhetoric of the time. It, yeah. it does. A, a, a real push against secret combinations okay so let's talk about the actual ceremony then that he came up with 35 to 36 um so you've got the pre-endowment ritual which was a simple stage ceremony clearly patterned after similar washings and anointings described in the old testament and especially the new testament um so the first off, and I don't know why, this would have been so much better. Why did we go to the whole creepy thing? Wash and purify the body with water and perfumed whiskey at home or at another place, not at the temple. They didn't do it at the temple at the time. And cinnamon perfumed whiskey, that sounds like a nice cocktail. I mean, this has this has links to, to Islam, the idea that before you attend mosque, you wash yourself at home. You, yes. you symbolically wash yourself in privacy. I mean, you can do it when you get there as well. There's washrooms there, but you, know, you are uh, able I, to, almost on an honor system, wash yourself, be clean and go. No, I used to work um, in Birmingham and we had, uh, there's a large Muslim population there. And there were several engineers in the office who were devout Muslims. And we had a prayer room. And at certain times on the Sabbath, on the Friday, they would go and, and do their washings in, in the bathroom. And they'd, they'd slowly just stand at the sink and, and perform their washings before they went to pray in the prayer room. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's still a thing mm -hmm. that people do religiously. Um, but following that, you gather at the temple to be anointed with oil by Joseph or other church leaders. And when we say anointed with oil, we're not talking about they got out that little vial that was on their car keys um, and just put a little dab on. Some of the accounts of this anointing with oil and some of the accounts we'll get to later on in the Salt Lake Temple and other temples, there was a lot of oil, you know, going on. And they, you were anointed. It was a slippery affair. So, or a, a nasty scrape. Um, so the, the anointing was sealed by the uplifted hands. There, there was some um, mention of washing of feet, but I think we, we get to that later. Um, and then... So the first of these washings took place in the January, I think, of 36. And then in the March was the first solemn assembly, which was a big party in Shindig in the temple for all of the brethren, where they fasted and prayed for several days, awaiting this spiritual endowment, this day of Pentecost. And um, they drank several barrels of wine and then started seeing things. Mm. Comments. Wine on an empty stomach will do that to you. Yeah. Um, just before we get to that, that, I just wanted to make a real quick comment that, you know, the cards in the temple, the little laminated cards that you take around, if you go through the uh, washing and anointing area, there's little laminated cards that they put on a clipboard that you can read from so that the officiator can yeah. know what to say. It's interesting, the scripture references on that. Really, there are, there are scripture references on there to Exodus Aaron. and other parts of. Yeah, it Pardon? talks about Aaron, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it it basically it gives its scriptural justification for the way that washing anointings are done within the LDS Church. And what's interesting about that is that this very clearly is a legacy from the Kirtland ceremony through to now. There's there's a very scriptural basis to this and a very old world basis to all this, but yet there doesn't seem to be any sort of scriptural justification that literally for the endowment ceremony itself. Yes. No. Go on, Julian. Because, well, it's because it's secret, isn't it? So we won't have that. In, we won't find that in the scriptures because it's secret. Oh dear. Um, JC makes a point here that Joseph Smith's anointing oils and wine were potentially steeped or spiked with <laughs> and theogen yeah. plants a theogen plants um the posh boy read that for me um seeing fascinating article by blankenagel um explains visionary early experiences naturalistically is that the one um, that's called joseph smith and the magic mushroom is that that one i think it might be i think it talks about the uh time period of the hallucinations kind of matched quite well about a six hour time period where they saw these visions and that's what your expected um period of reaction to those mm. um to those mushrooms herbs whatever it was that you take i think that's the one um isn't it funny though how the church really bases a lot of um kind of stock in what happened at this solemn assembly with the visions um and we can see joseph and oliver there being visited uh, with jesus upon the the mantle in the temple and elias and elijah and, and these great things that happened it was literally their day of pentecost 
and the church goes on about what these angels said and different things but really it was it was a piss up and you know if if church members when they were reading those scriptures because they always go on about context you can't take it out of context so if we put it in the real mm. context of these brethren hadn't eaten for several days or whatever in preparation for this and then they had drunk a buttload of wine mm-hmm. um you know that's a different context to put those scriptures in abundant amounts of alcohol abundant well i have a quote okay mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could get this up on the screen, but my computer wouldn't let me. This is from um, the book by David John Berger, mm-hmm. entitled uh, The Mysteries of Godliness, A History of Mormon Temple Worship. Really good book. Such and good book. anyone who can will be using that as we go along in these episodes. But this one is from a disaffected member who actually attended that meeting and gave a very interesting account of what happened. So he gave this account in 1841, and his name was William Harris, um, by then a disaffected participant. And he wrote, in 1836, an endowment meeting or solemn assembly was called to be held in the temple at Kirtland. It was given out that those who were in attendance at the meeting should receive an endowment or blessing similar to that experienced by the disciples of Christ on the day of Pentecost. When the day arrived, great numbers convened from the different churches in the country. They spent the day in fasting and prayer and in washing and perfuming their bodies. They also washed their feet and anointed their heads with what they called holy oil and pronounced blessings. In the evening, they met for the endowment. The fast then broke by eating light wheat bread and drinking as much wine as they saw proper. Smith knew well how to infuse the spirit which he expected um, to receive, which they expected to receive. So he encouraged the brethren to drink freely, telling them that the wine was consecrated and would not make them drunk. As many, uh, as may be supposed, they drank to the purpose. After this, they began to prophesy, pronouncing blessings upon their friends and curses upon their enemies. If I should be so unhappy as to go to the regions of the damned, I never expect to hear language more awful or more becoming the infernal pit than was uttered that night. The curses were pronounced principally upon the clergy of the present day and upon Jackson County mob in Missouri after spending the night in alternate in alternate blessings and cursings, the meeting adjourned. It sounds like it turned into a rage room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just break everything. <laughs> it's just got a bit wild. <laughs> I just think it's unreal that, like, and that was in the temple because the temples were different then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's but, a story but, but, of, the... of William Smith, you know, telling these threatening to beat Joseph up while he was at the pulpit at, you know, one of the, one of the sermons in there. It was just a bit of a wild time, I think. And not like we would recognize. No, we wouldn't. Um, But that's bad. It's a shame. Uh, So it was different, um, but they, they got it right. They got it right. We're the ones that have got it wrong because we have sterilized the the temple experience. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've some, it's kind of like, you know, we've, 
we've taken this the kind of ancient and old testament ideas of temples that were very much linked to festival and celebration and we've mingled it with like ultra puritanical um religion and we've come up with something really dull um, and they hadn't quite got to that in the early church mm-hmm. so there was dancing in the temple and and and, and drinking you know and there, there, and there should be you know we kind of say you know, we, we kind of take the mickey out of this idea of them drinking and, and having all these hallucinations. But but again, if you look at um, if you look at lots of other cultures that will use, um, you know, different plants that we know have got psychedelic properties to have what is for them a very, very sacred ritual and this wonderful, uplifting experience. That's not a bad thing. If we go back to why, what is the purpose? What are we... As, as individuals, as human beings, suppose, forget about the people that are dead. They're dead. We don't need to worry about them. But the ones that are alive, what are we supposed to get out of it? Mm. And actually getting together like that and having a good drink and, and, and singing and, and dancing and praying together is probably a really, really powerful experience and, and, and one that I think I would probably enjoy much more than, than, than what we get now. There you go. So, you know, we were talking about how you get people back to your temples. How are you going to man a woman, mm. a Birmingham temple, um, hand out mushrooms? Mm. No, I'm joking. Hand out mushrooms. <laughs> Brilliant. Or, <laughs> or just having as, yeah, I mean, what you're talking about there, Julian, is that the, the, the core experience <laughs> of all ancient religions and human civilization for, for thousands of years has been um, what we call animist religion, which believes that there are spirits of the dead ancestors all around us that communicate, they watch over us, they can be a threat, we need to placate them, we need to look after them, um, which is absolutely what goes on in the temple. Um, They tell creation myths, you get told the story of your tribe's view of how the earth was created and why human beings are within it. There's usually, it usually happens at the time of puberty, so there'll be lots of instruction in animist religion in in getting away from ordinary society into the lodge, into the sacred space um, and being taught what your role as men and women are and celebrating the fact that you're adults now and sexual and you're going to make families and be responsible adults and make commitments to sort of uphold the values of your community. The endowment does that. And this is one of the epiphanies for me that I kind of explore in that article for, for Rational Faiths is to to suddenly realize that whether accidentally or not the temple endowment ended up having all of these amazing ingredients we bring back into christianity um a ton of stuff that is rich and and vibrant and meaningful and life-changing that has been sucked out of christianity by catholics Mm -hmm. although they tend to do more ritual um and certainly the protestants um, and that gives us stuff to talk about with the whole of the world's religions. We should be rocking it in the East. We should be rocking it in, in, for different reasons in in sort of tribal uh, southern hemisphere in any culture where you still have animist religion being a big part because we talk about the same things. We make those connections to our ancestors. We engage in physical ritual. We tell the stories of creation and our ancestors and our place in it. We're absolutely doing the stuff that is normal for them. And that is such a plus. 
But our current leaders don't get any of that. So they're sucking it all out. They are one by one knocking out of the endowment the things that matter, particularly the live endowment, the ritual where you and your people get together and immerse yourself in reenacting these stories. And they've made it, you sit passively and watch a movie. Um, you know, and, but the, and this is the richness of masonry that we're losing. Yeah. There's a larger problem at play there. I think it's the mixture of this. Because the way you're describing it there is like it's an old Eastern religion temple, right? But. But, uh, more more like, animist, actually. More, animist, more you know, Papua but, New Guinea. Yeah. But But the problem is the mixture with American culture or with Western culture and the gatekeeping of that experience by Temple Recommend, by a desk, mm. by a business-like formality, a transactional way of entering the building. Mm. You can't just turn up. Mm. Like, if, if you could just turn up, go through a short, mm. put your robes on, go through a short veil ceremony, and then go to the session room and spend time there communing with your deceased ancestors, feeling their mm. spirit, that sort of thing. If you could do that, it would be a much different experience. But there's a transactional nature. You must give something first not to god but to the organization that's how i think it comes across to many it's mm. it's it's this there's a and they're policing you every second that yeah. you're there as you're mm -hmm. saying they're policing yeah. you you how long you can stay is up to them not you mm -hmm. so we've got three proposals so far for saving the temple for relevance yeah. one is get off your face on drugs and have a wild social experience got bring back the deep meaning you know really explore the depth of the the every man in the in the mama's play in the pageant in the ancient ritual of the journey of life from creation to where you are now and looking forward to your children um, and have that intellectual thought-provoking spiritual journey vibe to it you know your 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 dream quest you know I'm just a small um, and, and nemo's <laughs> and yeah, Nemo's yeah. idea of let it be a place you can bring yourself to to just be to to have a sacred space to be quiet and pray and think like a, a Christian cathedral is yeah you can, can just go in and it is a an awe-inspiring sacred environment but you can just sit and think for yourself if you want to yeah Laura or a small fee I was just thinking about who I know that genuinely has a good experience at the temple they don't go because of that that transaction as such i'm sure it's still in there but um and i've got we've got some friends who are tongan and i think they they experience it in a different way because of all of their culture when it comes to their ancestors they are bringing that with them to their experience they're actually having a completely different experience to us when they go there and so it does stand on its own merit um, that is a conduit for them to heaven and for some of their ancestors before. And so it, it is a beautiful, genuinely beautiful experience for them. I think that, like I said, I think that transaction is still there. And you've got a lot of arbitrary questions that you need to answer in order to get there and pay um, uh, a load of money. But they genuinely seem to be having a, a good experience. Yeah. But I don't Can know many other people that, that aren't having to give an awful lot sacrifice wise julian can I, can I just add as well that you know if we so if we're trying to fix the temple if that's what is that our job now we're gonna, so. we're gonna brit rangers are gonna fix the temple um yep. we're going to turn it into a nightclub <laughs> sure that's think, where we started well yeah and and but again if we look at the early the early temple to some extent it was and and, and there's room for both 
I think that's the thing that there is space in in temple ceremony for both of those things. I think there needs to be an, an element of or when I say needs, I mean to get certain things from it. There needs to be an element of mystery, as as a, mm-hmm. as um, Captain Crash Idaho pointed out. I think, yeah, and and that that is very much um, you know ancient. It, it was it, it was always there. This element of of um, of mystery and also of um, is it celebration and also exclusivity as well you know you, you are it's there are elements of it that are just there for the initiated you mean like the, a rite of passage well, yeah that as well I, th- I think there is i think there is room for all of these things and as we can see you know if you look if you look at the kirtland temple um and the Nauvoo temple they they did that they there were all of those elements there um what we've done is we've kind of drained it from anything other than this routine um, you know, experience, and we've taken up from you know even that could be massively improved. Yeah, well, I've just created a little poll on the YouTube, so everyone in the chat can vote. Because for me, I didn't enjoy the temple; it was a pain in the ass to have to go and do these things, and it was always a chore. Um, and that's probably random, you know, my issue. But uh, I just put simply: Did you enjoy? the temple yes or no and everyone can vote and uh, and we'll see where people were falling because i think even sorry i'm off to vote you're off to vote we'll see you later uh make sure you take your polling card uh, but i think the church would be a very different place if those brethren at that solemn assembly had taken their wives because the wives well first of all they wouldn't have acted so silly because i know when i go on a night out if my wife isn't there, it's no holds barred. And uh, the Heaths can account for that. But next time we go out, if Sister PD comes with me, we'll be reined in because Sister PD tells me when I'm being a tit or, you know, just lets me know. And I think a lot of those brethren, if their wives had been there, that have been like, you're drunk, go and sit down. <laughs> you know, PD's stop speaking. So we maybe wouldn't have had all of these uh, angelic visits and different things. Um, so uh, Aunt, Auntie Queenie's asked for a third choice that she kind of enjoyed the temple. Auntie Queenie, I'll add that now. Um, Julian, did you have something to say? No, I, I, I think I've already said it, but I just, again, wanted to just re-emphasize this, that, that it, it wasn't a bad thing. <laughs> these people all getting drunk in the temple was not a bad thing. And it's probably what they needed. You know, society needs these things. Outlets. You know, yeah, they need these outlets. Uh, and and if we if we focus on what is the real, get rid of the, this, the kind of, and I don't even want to say get rid of it, but, you know, let's forget about the mumbo jumbo angels standing as sentinels. It was bonding, and, wasn't it? You know, look at, if, if you take something much simpler, you know, you look at the sacraments. Okay, we we don't as a uh, as a religion we don't believe in transubstantiate transubstantiation. There is no magic to the sacraments, you know. We don't believe that that um, the 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 tokens mean anything. It doesn't matter whether it's water, vimto, wine, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's what it means to us. It's the effect that it has on us. This idea of us all kind of sitting together 
partaking in a, what is essentially a communal meal where Christ is at the centre of this. You know, that works on us psychologically, you know, and it helps flick that that um, that hive switch in our brains that makes us think less of ourselves and more of other people and, and, and part of something bigger. And that's what the temple should be all about, is this idea of, of flicking that hive switch so that we look outside of ourselves and want to be part of something bigger. And, and, and we can do that. And we, I think they had it right. We could get it there again if that was our real focus. Okay. You sound like you really want it back. I, I, just, I think it would be an easy win, if I'm honest. Yeah. Is that why you're building that altar over there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Don't build a bed for the temple. <laughs> Um, so 21st century saints just saying there that the women were full part participants in this as well um i wasn't putting the women down jane i was just saying that you're more sensible than we are um and that at least in my experience the the female of the species tends to be a little bit more realistic and sensible um in these matters but the women eventually did get to partake in all the temple um, stuff when we got to Nauvoo and the temple ceremony changed um, because Joseph's, I guess, position changed. Um, we got uh, the Nauvoo Charter. We got a Freemason's Lodge in Nauvoo where all of the brethren started joining the Freemasons. And then we got the new Nauvoo temple ceremony that had the washings and anointings, the clothing and a garment, and then added the instructional and testing phases um, that we're more familiar with today, with uh, the Garden of Eden in, in the creation, um, signs and tokens with, um, what do they call them? Oh, with penalties penalties uh a prayer circle and the test at the veil where you are tested on um your signs and tokens and we can see there there's a sister um in her full um robes an artist impression of the time and she's actually holding a dagger because at the time um they used to uh cut into um your garments literally in the ceremony um, to make the certain marks and yeah, sacred symbols. So, yeah, anyone? Pretty full on, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what, when, when did they experience masonry? What's the timeline here? Because the general perception is that literally within months, several of weeks. Joseph Smith okay. being inducted of a mason or weeks. Um, that's when it all went towards the Masonic idea of the journey and much more symbolism and all these other ingredients came in and the signs and the tokens particularly. Um, is this before 1842 or about the same time? So um, it's 1842. No, the timeline. Yeah. I've done a video on this. It definitely, Joseph Smith was a master mason and then several weeks later he, he instituted this. The church admits it. Yeah, so the, there's a quote in the book um, from Parley P. Pratt describing the event um, a little over a month later. So he was describing um, his washing and anointing and being ordained a priest um, uh, in the company of nine others. So when he was ordained to the Quorum of the Anointed, 
um, and endowed. So he speaks and a little ways down, he says, we've organized a lodge here, speaking of Nauvoo, of Masons since we obtained a charter. That was in March. Since that, there has has near 200 been made Masons. Brother Joseph and Sydney was the first that was received into the lodge. All of the 12 have become members except Orson P. He hangs back. He will make up, he will wake up soon. There is a similarity of uh, priesthood in Masonry. Brother Joseph says Masonry was taken from the priesthood but has become degenerated by many things, uh, but many things are perfect. So, yeah, that was, um, ooh, what did he say? March. In March, nearly 200 of them became Masons. And <clears throat> the strange events he's speaking of with his endowments, etc., were June. So it's, it's very soon afterwards. Laura. Um, so I was listening just before this, I was listening to um, a Year of Polygamy episode. I'm going to rely heavily on some of the information on there. It's episode 170 if you if you get to, because I probably won't do it anywhere near justice. But um, this idea of uh, masonry, it being a, it's a corrupted version of what uh, Heavenly Father wanted us to, to actually know in the temple ceremony. And this kind of is like a... Um, a bit of a theme and a pattern with Joseph. So he absolutely denied um, polygamy, but plural marriage was the um, proper and correct way that, that they should be um, living marriage. So polygamy, absolutely not denied that, wrote, you know, got loads of women to sign to say that they weren't living polygamy, but plural marriage is a completely different thing. Um, and um, Lindsay Hanson Park has a theory that the endowment was um, created um, for the purpose was is integral to polygamy because um, through Emma Smith. So um, anointings and endowments were promised to her if she was on board with with polygamy. And first wives were given their their second anointing. Second anointings kind of dropped off the dropped off the map after a little while when Brigham, um, not long after Brigham, but certainly to start with, if people were having their second anointings. And the idea of having this kind of, um, these, um, uh, what was my train of thought with the idea of plural marriage being okay, but not polygamy, like this higher law and this lower law. In the, in the media re recently, we've had an awful lot about other fundamentalist movements. And a lot of other fundamentalist movements will say that LDS, we're, they're out of order. They're, they're not, um, we've changed so many times with our temple endowments and other things that we are not, we've not got the correct priesthood. Um, and so LDS are the lower law and you'll have some people in mostly in America, but probably many other places. Um, they will go to the LDS church in the morning on a Sunday to live the lower law. And then though in the afternoon, they will live the high law and they're living the law of consecration and polygamy and all these other um, original uh, doctrines. Um, what's interesting, this terminology, higher law, came has now come into the temple into the lds temple which is if if somebody was to look up the higher law um there's like a lots of historical precedents in terms of it being used for polygamy and for law of consecration and all of those kind of higher law um 
laws. And so if you've got somebody who is using our LDS temples, but is actually fundamentalist in mentality, it's really weird because they're turning up to an LDS temple and they are covenanting for all the things that they're already living um, using the high law terminology. So it's a bit of a weird, weird wording to put into our temple because it's got such a historical backstory. I've just, I've looked up the dates uh, on when Joseph Smith became a Mason and when he instituted the endowment. And this is from the church's website. Um, So Joseph Smith... Got to be right then. Yeah. Joseph Smith received um, his Masonic initiation on March 15th, 1842. On May the 3rd, 1842, Joseph Smith enlisted a few men to prepare the space in his red brick store in which the Narvin Masons met, preparatory to giving endowments to a few elders. And that's a quote there. The next day, Joseph introduced the Temple Endowments for the first time to nine men, all of whom were also Masons. One of these men, Heber C. Kimball, wrote his experience down. Wow. So it was March, he became a Mason, went super quick through it all, and then by May, he had instituted the endowment. Yeah. So it's, it's, well, it's a matter of weeks. Well, I just want to say as well, um, on this, this next slide, before we get to the whole Freemasonry thing, because we are going to, touch on that we're not going to go through everything because there is just so much but we'll touch on it um but coming back to the idea that these temples were not just um for this whole endowment thing to go on um you can see it's a poor cross section but it's the best one i could find on the internet you've got a basement which is the baptistry standard but then in between you've got two floors of assembly rooms in the Mm -hmm. Nauvoo temple and the endowment section was like bunged in the attic. Um, and you can see the, the floor plan here. Oh, here on the right of the attic story of the temple with um, the, the garden rooms, etc., and offices around. So the temples really were a multi-purpose building. It wasn't just for the endowments. You know, the majority of that building is for uh, people meeting together and, and having an assembly place. So mm-hmm. just thought that was interesting. And, and of course, the Nauvoo Temple, the rebuilt Nauvoo Temple, is, it's got the, the same layout or certainly very similar layout. And so you've got these big assembly rooms yeah. that are never used. Or, or I don't know, maybe they are used. I don't know what they're used for. I was thinking then, because we went to the Nauvoo Temple and they've got like a part of it's like the Kirtland Temple. As you go in off to the left, you've got it's like the, the Kirtland. assembly rooms, yeah. Is that with the, with the pool that, yeah. yeah. And then off to the right, there's other rooms. Yeah. Right. So this document here is from the Utah Lighthouse Ministry from the Tanners themselves, and it's fantastic. But if just as a um, a kind of idea as to how much there is in there, Um, Just looking at the table they've put together of similarities between Freemasonry of the 1830s and the Mormon endowment pre-1940, they've got 26 um, sections here where there are similarities uh, that they've outlined. And we're not going to go through them all because there are the covenants in there that we said we would not talk about in these broadcasts. Um, But anyone who wants to go and look for themselves, the link to that is down in the show notes. Um, Can I just say something on that, uh, okay. Hayley, on the whole Masonic thing? Are we going to talk about the, the Masonic link? We today? are going there now. Yeah. So um, 
I don't think a lot, a lot. It doesn't bother me. The, Mas the Masonic link doesn't really bother me. And I think what happens now is we, you know, most people don't know. It's not something that, that was common knowledge. Um, you know, certainly when I was kind of growing up in the temple, it wasn't common knowledge. Um, and when we find out we're like, you know, the shock, horror, there's links to the, the to Freemasonry. Um, it didn't bother the, the early members. And, you know, and they were both. These are people that were, were intimately... Um, familiar with Freemasonry and and the endowment, and it didn't bother them. And I know that you know there is this idea of of Masonry being a corrupted form of the original endowment. Um, I <laughs> this is a rubbish source. I'm sorry, um, but I have definitely you you gave that kind of quote about Joseph saying that that it had been like a corrupted version. I've read in non Mormon books. Um, where the, or certainly a non-Mormon book, I remember reading about the fact that they'd said that that there is this understanding in in masonry that the real kind of secrets have been lost and that they would be restored. You know, it's almost like it was written by a Mormon, but I, I assure you, it was. It, it's a book. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's called um, the Hiram Key, and it's very kind of Graham Hancock kind of um, esque sort of pseudo historic stuff but that was you know a source that that says that same idea that, that 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 that's a masonic belief i don't know whether that's true or not um and there are lots of these elements that are found in freemasonry that are also found in other ancient um temple ceremonies as well um i'm sorry i know that sounds really kind of some people aren't going to like me saying that. I, d I don't think it really matters. I don't think whether it's, you know, and, and even if Joseph did just go, well, let's, let's copy that from Freemasonry. Again, what's important is the function. It's utility is really what should like the, 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 the center of this. How does it work? How does it help us? How does it work? Yeah. I, I think 